Now, we know a lot of people over the many years that I've been born and you've been born and life has gone on at that place called Beulah Land. Many, many people. Many, many people. That's the promise that God gives us. For those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what Daryl touched on this morning in this lesson, not necessarily, he was talking about prosperity gospel, he was talking about also laying your treasures up in heaven to that home above, Beulah Land. Heard many preachers over my lifetime preach. Heard a song so many times. But there's something special about that place called Beulah Land. Amen. Come on, Brother Mike. And what makes that place special, by the way, ain't streets of gold or mansions. It ain't choirs of angels. It ain't those loved ones that have already been there, that have already gone there. What makes that place special is the one who makes it heaven. And that is God himself. So let's take a minute. Let's, let's think about the character of God and specifically uh, his calling to us. Stand with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16 will be our focus this morning. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. This is God's word. And if you let it, it will change your life. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Pray with me. Father, may these words be true of us. May we be holy just as you are holy. Father, help us in this time. In Christ's name, amen. You know, um, I, I think about what is it that, that makes God who he is. You think about the different attributes of God, and, and if we were to go around the room and ask about the things that, of God, you know, what is God like? We would say things like he's loving, and he's just, and he's pure, and he's righteous. Probably the idea of holiness is what captures all of this together in one. We were talking this morning, God's attributes aren't like a whole bunch of, if you were to draw circles, they're not like a whole bunch of circles that are all attached together. That's not God. God isn't some of love and some of justice and some of mercy and some of purity and some of this and some of that all kind of thrown all together, kind of, kind of like grapes on a grapevine. It's not like that. It's not like God's central character and all these characters have these little outshoots. So it's not like a big circle with a bunch of little circles all around it where each one is a different attribute of God. They're not distinct from his character. If we were to draw a bunch of circles that would depict the nature and character of God and all these different attributes, what you'd end up looking at is one circle. Because God is all that he is completely and holy. And not only holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, but holy H-O-L-Y as well. And it's that God who tells us to be holy. God has called us as his children to be holy. Now, we think about the call of God and we think of, well, you know, pastor, you, of course you have a call of God. I mean, you wouldn't be pastoring, you wouldn't be preaching if you weren't called of God. 
We know that missionaries have a call of God to go to all kinds of different places all around the world to share the gospel. We heard from one two weeks ago that's in Montgomery ministering with a bunch of people that 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 without that church have little to no um, little to no opportunity to hear about Jesus. They they've got a New Testament in their language, but most of them can't. A lot of them can't read, and those that can read don't have access to Bibles. And so, so we know that those people are called, missionaries are called to go out to different places and to, to spread the gospel. We know that they're called. We know that some people are called to do specific kinds of works. We know that Billy Graham is called to be an evangelist. And, and though he's not connected to one specific church, we know that he was called by God to do the work that he was doing. But somehow we think that uh, if you're just in the pews, if you're just the churchgoer, if you're just a Sunday school teacher or you're just in attendance, that you're not called. That, you, that, that somehow you have missed the call of God. But the fact of the matter is God has called all of us. Now, I don't know. Maybe there's someone here this morning that God uh, uh, is offering a different kind of call to you because you've never come to the cross and confessed your sin. And trusted in him as your savior. Can I tell you, that's the first call of God. And that call goes out to the ends of the earth. God has called people to trust in his son Christ. And so if you haven't done that, that's your call. Okay? So the rest of what I'm going to talk about is completely impossible until you come to the cross of Calvary. But for those of us who have come to the cross, there's another call of God. And it's the call to be holy. But I find, maybe you do too. And there are some things that make it hard to be holy. There's some things that get in the way. Uh, I think of I think of um, I think of runners running on a track, and often there are hurdles. You have to jump over these hurdles. If you don't jump over the hurdles, you're going to fall over the hurdles. Okay, like if you don't get over them, you're going to fall down, and you're not going to be able to win that race because you're falling down. There are things, hurdles, there are obstacles in our way that keep us from being holy. So I want to consider three things that if we don't do these three things, we cannot be holy. Okay? First, we cannot be holy unless we reject godless passions. We cannot be holy unless we reject godless passions. Verse 14, as obedient children, we'll come back to the obedient children in just a minute, but as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, I thought that was kind of interesting. Paul, uh, Paul says to the Roman church, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. I thought it's interesting that Peter calls it the passions of your former ignorance. I looked up that word passions. I said, where else is that word used? What does he mean passions of your former ignorance? Is there something in the biblical text that can help me kind of associate with this? Well, it's actually used quite a bit. Jesus uses it in Mark chapter 4. He tells the parable of the sower. Y'all know the parable of the sower. Sower went out and sowed some seed. And he throws some and it goes on the path. And birds come and eat it up. He sows some and it goes on the rocks. And there's a little bit of soil, so the, it shoots up real quick. But when the sun comes up, uh, the plant withers and dies because it doesn't have root. Okay? 
Then he says, some fell among thorns. And he grew up, but the thorns choked it out. When he's explaining the parable, Jesus tells them that the thorns are the passions and desires of this life that choke out the word of God. Paul talks about these passions in Ephesians 2. And he says that they corrupt us. Our passions corrupt us. This word is also used in other passages as well. And every time it's used, sometimes it's used for good things. Sometimes it's used for desiring the right things. Paul says, I I desire to know you, to to come be with you and to share with you and to minister to you. I desire to come to you quickly as soon as I am able. So it's not always bad things, but these passions of our former ignorance are passions of earthly things. Uh, they're, They're the fleshly desires that draw us away from God. They corrupt us. And so the only answer is that we must crucify them. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Let's see how this plays out. In Galatians 5, he's talking about the fact, the Paul is, that the spirit and the flesh are at war against each other. The things that the flesh wants are against the spirit. And the things that the spirit wants are against the flesh. And then he says in verse 19, now the works of the flesh, what the flesh ends up doing, the desires that lead the flesh on, end up with these actions. They're evident. He says, the sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, decisions, uh, dissensions, excuse me, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I, a quick question for you. How many of you want to be described by words like those? But how many times do some of these things become true of us? Because we have this sinful nature within us pulling us away from God, corrupting us. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot be holy with those kinds of passions. You say, well, my passions aren't that bad. Are they, though? Go back to verse 20 real quick. What's the first word in verse 20? Idolatry. Do you remember what we talked about last week, those of you who are here? We talked about verse 13. Set your hope fully on the grace that is being brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you remember that? And we talked about the fact that we often put our hope in the wrong things. We often treasure and focus on things that are not good. And because we put our hopes in those wrong things, we turn them into gods. We put our hope in those things instead of in God himself. So we are so prone to idolatry. I bet you most any of us can look carefully at our lives and find that we have false idols. Most any of us can look at our lives carefully and find that we are not worshiping the right thing. And that's just one word. Pretty much takes all of us out. My my passions aren't that bad, are they? Do they become gods? Well, I'm not, I mean, I'm not like killing people. 
Do you see murder isn't even in the list? He didn't even mention murder. We usually talk about murders like they're the worst kind of people. That's not even in this list. You know what it is, though? Fits of anger. Oh, boy. Y'all, I read that and I said, God, help me. I'm the type of person that I struggle with fits of anger. God, help me not be corrupted by that kind of passion. What about you? Maybe, maybe, maybe yours is an anger. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe you've got neighbors or friends or family. Brantley, I need you to be quiet, buddy. Okay? Thank you. Maybe it's the guys next door that have all kinds of great stuff and you're just sitting there like, well, yeah, my car's 10 years old. Still runs good. Keep it in shape, but I don't have the brand new Tesla. I don't have the... I don't have all the fancy electronics in my house that control what the temperature is and you, you can turn a light on and off from 30 miles away. I don't have all that. Maybe that's yours. An envy. I bet you if you look carefully and you, you really think about this list, you'll find yourself somewhere. And those passions are corrupting us. But look at verse 22. We often talk about Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We don't put it in this context. Put it in this context. Boy, boy, does this look even... Even, what a contrast. You look at all the things listed in 19, 20, 21, and then you get to 22 and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, not only no law of man, but no law of God. In fact, that's what the law is aiming for. And to those who belong to Christ Jesus, or, and those who belong to Christ Jesus, excuse me, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's the same guy that said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not me. God who lives in me. Our passions our desires, our lusts, our cravings draw us away from God and it takes God himself dying on a cross, atoning for our sins, bearing them on his shoulders to reconcile us with God. And so now we must daily crucify those passions and desires. To, to paraphrase John Owen, be killing sin or it be killing you. We cannot be holy unless we reject godless passions. There's no way to have these passions and be holy because they will pull you away from God. That's a pretty big hurdle to overcome. God, uh, God's help, you can. And it takes God's help too, doesn't it? We cannot be holy unless we recognize God's holiness. Remember I said earlier, part of the character of God, in fact, uh, it, you could say, in a sense, a summary of the character of God is holy. Verse 15, but as he, so, so you're going to reject the godless passions 
As obedient children, you, um, you are going to not be conformed by the passions of your former ignorance. When you didn't know God, all those evil fleshly desires that were drawing you away from Him. But now, as He who called you is holy. You, you see what's happening? Until you recognize God's holiness, you're not going to be able to be holy yourself. Because it really takes learning, knowing, walking with the holy God for you to learn holiness. How do you learn how to tie your shoes? You learn because your mom or your dad sits you down as a little kid and says, all right, here's what you do. You do this here and you do it like that. Some people have a song. I made up a song, but my kids could never follow it. It never helped them. I made up a terror. I, I, I thought it was a good song, but it, it never worked for them. That's why I'm not a musical artist. It took showing them the right way over and over and over again and letting them do it. Savannah came home one day and she's like, here, let me show you how I tie my shoe. I'm like, how did you learn that? You, you, I got a song. <laughs> She's like, no, I already know. You know, She showed me. And I'm like, she learned. Someone showed her. Someone sat down with her and showed her. And so she knows how to tie her shoe. Maybe one day she'll show Mitchell. I don't know. <laughs> it takes more than just hearing about it. It takes more than just having a list of instructions to follow. It takes more than just watching it happen from time to time. It takes us recognizing what's going on and then emulating it ourselves. We have to recognize that God is holy. Can you think for just a second about the fact that God is holy. What does that mean? What does it mean that God is holy? Well, in some sense, it means that he's perfect. He's pure. There's, there's no, there, you don't talk about God as being partly mighty. We talk of him as being almighty, right? We don't talk of God as being some mighty. What, what, if we sang the song, some mighty, some holy God, you know, we don't do that. It's almighty, most holy God, right? Faithful to the ages. Why, why, why do we think of God as holy as though it's just something to compartmentalize, something to put away into a section like, like God is not always holy, but when we start to focus on it, then, then we're just looking at his holiness, but then we can turn around from his holiness and look at some other attribute like it's a totally different thing. God's not like that. God is holy. He is completely holy which means that everything he says, everything he does, everything he is demonstrates that holiness. I think of Isaiah walking in to the throne room of God in a vision. He's there and he's hearing the angels sing out, holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. And what does he say? Last five chapters of the book. Isaiah has said, woe, woe to this people, woe to that people, woe to them over there, woe to them over there. 
He gets in front of God and he sees with his own eyes just a glimpse of his holiness and he says, woe is me. Now, was he wrong to say, woe is them, woe is them, woe is them? No. Now he realizes, oh, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and it takes an angel coming and and atoning for his sin, putting that hot coal on his lips to burn away the sin, that symbol of his sin being purified in the fire by God himself. And then God says, whom shall I send? And Isaiah can finally say something other than woe is me. And he can say, here am I. If we are going to be holy, if we are going to answer the call of God, we must first recognize just how holy he is. And i got to be honest with you, sometimes we play around with it flippantly. Sometimes we act like God is some kind of, of, of trinket. Sometimes we act like God is, Jesus is my homeboy. God is my co-pilot. We act like God is someone to boast about and parade around like he's, like he's some sort of trophy God. No, when you, are, when you start to really think about who God is and the nature of his holiness, it ought to get your knees knocking. It ought to get your heart fearing. It ought to get you saying, woe is me. It ought to get you to stop in your tracks with what you're doing because that's God. You ever, you ever get around a great person, a person that's well-known, a person that has just uh, um, just this character that just seems to tower over everyone else. And it changes the way you act. That ought to be what happens with us when we come face-to-face with the God of the universe. Now, does that mean we should be so afraid of him? Does that mean that we should be so afraid of him that we can't do anything? No. But it, we, we ought to be afraid enough that we want to make sure we do the right thing. I fear sometimes, I fear sometimes we think of God too loosely. And this call to be holy is a reminder that He is holy and we must be very careful. Which is what what's more astounding about the fact that we are to come before the throne of grace with boldness and confidence. How can you do that before a holy God? Well, when you recognize his holiness, you take the next step. You might call it monkey see, monkey do. We cannot be holy unless we reflect God's character. There are several different words I could have used here. I could have said, unless we emulate God's character, imitate God's character, mimic God's character. But we're very poor imitators, aren't we, of God? I could have said that we resemble God's character. We look a little bit like it, but I decided on reflect because like a mirror reflects light. There's not the light in the mirror itself, but whatever hits the mirror is reflected back off. And I think as we spend time with God and as we recognize his holiness and as we walk with him daily, as we're doing uh, uh, life with God and not just doing life and every now and then having our little devotional time and every now and then saying a quick prayer or every now and then doing a little thing here or there, every now and then coming to church, every now and then putting money in the offering, every now and then doing these little things that we do. 
But I mean daily seeking to walk with God in His presence and in His holiness, we become more like Him. We cannot be holy unless we reflect God's character. Now it's one thing to know who God is and to reject His character. That's not what I want. It's a whole other thing to reflect it. It's a whole other thing to be a light reflecting the true light. Verse 16. On what basis should we be holy in our conduct? On the basis of God being holy, right? Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Little known fact here. That's not a command. It looks like a command, but it's actually a future tense. You will be holy. This isn't God saying, you have to be holy. This is God saying, I'm going to make you holy. You are. This is your future. You will become holy. Just as much as you will become old if you don't die. Just as much as you will live if you don't die, right? Just as much as you will get taller or just as much as you will have gray hair one day or just as much as you will go to the store tomorrow. It's telling the future. And unlike you will go to the store tomorrow where there might be uh, plans might change and you may not make it to the store tomorrow, you will be holy is God's plan. And God's got a pretty good track record of fulfilling his plan. He's saying this is what's going to happen. Now, there's a little bit of a command kind of in that, isn't there? There's a little bit of a, this is what's going to happen, so make it happen. You're going to be holy. Sometimes I'll tell one of my kids, you're going to do this, whether you like it or not. Now, we can do it the easy way or we can do it the hard way, but you're going to do it one way or the other. So there's a little bit of a command there. Cooperate with me. Do what I'm telling you to do. Be obedient children. And this process will be a whole lot easier on you, right? We cannot be holy, though, unless we're actually holy. And the only way to do that is to reflect the character of the God who is holy. We're going to talk a little bit in coming weeks about what that looks like. In chapter 1, verse 17, all the way uh, pretty much through the end of the book, he is talking, working this out of what does it look like for us to be holy? Most of the rest of this book is focused on who we are to be in light of the fact of who God has called us to be. But for right now, let me just give you this one point. We must, or we best, excuse me, reflect God's character by remembering his commands and prioritizing our obedience. In Numbers chapter 15, he gives them an interesting command. He says, you need to put tassels on your garments. All the way around the bottom and on the corners, you put tassel with a little bit of blue fiber in it. Put some blue thread in the tassel on the corners. Now, why would God command them to do that? Why would God say you have to have tassels on your clothes? Doesn't that seem a little weird? Doesn't that seem like a strange command of God? Well, here's why. Numbers 15, verse 39. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord. Remember what God has told you to do. Now, now God hasn't just told them to do one or two things. 
The laws that he's given, the name Torah actually uh, uh, translates into a number. It's a word, law, but it translates into a number in Hebrew letters. It's the number 613. There are 613 laws of God given in the scripture in the first few books. That's not coincidence. That's, that, that's on purpose. 613 different things that God has commanded them specifically. Some of them are very specific. Some of them get down to individual details of specific aspects of their life. Do not boil a young goat in its mother's milk is one of those. Very specific. Some of them are more general. Things like honor your father and your mother. Some of those commandments of God are so peculiar, so unique, that they only apply in specific situations. Others of them are so general, they can apply in just about any situation. But remember what he's told you. Now you're going to need help remembering, because that's a lot. That's why, that's why Deuteronomy says you teach them to your children. You teach them, you talk of them when you sit down and when you rise and when you go out and when you come in and when you lay down and when you get up and, and you, you write them on the doorpost of your house and you put them as a frontlet between your eyes. What he's saying is you're going to have to keep repeating this law over and over and over again to drive it into your hearts and to drive it into your hearts of your kids. In order for them to really get it, it's got to be constantly front of mind. Remember what God has commanded you. Remember all the commandments of the Lord, he continues, to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes. That's the passions of your former ignorance, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments. And be holy to your God. And if that wasn't enough, let me give you my authority. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. You think he's trying to tell them something? I do. I think he's telling them that unless you remember what I've taught you and you make your obedience a priority, you're not going to be able to reflect my character. And if you're not reflecting my character, you're not fulfilling my command to be holy. You see, what it really boils down to is God is holy, so we should be too. Nowhere more should it be true, the phrase like father, like son. God is holy, and he's called us to be holy. Now, it takes his help, but he offers it. He, he doesn't say... Good luck. Don't know how you're going to pull this one off. He doesn't say, let me give them a challenge they can't possibly overcome. Your parents ever do that to you? Ever say, oh yeah, as soon as you do this, then, then I'll give you that. And there's no way you could have done this, whatever it is. That's not what God does. He says, I want you to be holy. You're going to be holy. I'm going to make sure of it. You just follow my commands. So, you have to call. God has said, whom shall I send? Who, who is going to be holy for me? Who is going to follow in my ways and be holy? Now it's time for us to respond. I'm going to stand up here for an invitation. God's calling you to be holy. That might be uh, coming to the cross. 
to repent of your sin and ask God to save you from it, it might be for you to say, it's time I stop following my own passions. It's time I, I put away the things that are preventing me from being like you and I trust you and I follow you and I'm obedient to you. Whatever that may look like, you do it while we sing this song. Pray with me. Father, it's your time. You do what you want to do in us. God, we trust you. So we'll follow you. You just lead the way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.